This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. When we think of people with same-sex attraction, we usually don't imagine a temple-married, active LDS mother of two. Yet that is what we find in this interview with Samantha. Interestingly, a person such as she may not be as uncommon as we often believe. LDS Family Social Services estimates that four to five members in the average LDS ward experience same-gender attraction. Most of those are married with children. In this interview, Samantha tells us about her experiences with church leaders at BYU and in her home ward over the years, and she helps to provide insight into how family members and ward members can help lift the burden of someone who experiences same-gender attraction. Hello, Samantha, and welcome to Fair Examination. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to get started? I am in my 40s. I've been married for over 20 years. I have three children. They're teens. Um, I grew up in a small town. I'm one of many children. I um, graduated high school and went to college where I have where I earned two degrees two bachelor's degrees, one in um, music composition and theory, one in piano performance, and a master's degree in piano performance. I attended BYU and the University of Wyoming to get those degrees. Um, I was married when I was 19 to my husband, and we've been married ever since. We were married in the temple. I have held various callings in the church. The majority of them have been with the youth. I've served in the young women for most of my life, beginning at age 20. And um, as a seminary teacher, uh, I've had other callings in the Relief Society in the primary, very, very short time, and some in the State Relief Society. And that's pretty much it. I currently work at, teach piano pedagogy at the university, and I work in my father's business as a registered financial advisor, and I prepare taxes for his clients. And I'm a mom when I'm not doing anything else. That's pretty much it. All right. Well, the reason we invited you on to speak to us on fair examination is that you experience same-sex attraction. Is that right? That's correct. How long has it been since you've recognized in yourself that you were attracted to other women? Um, I think I first noticed it when I was about 12. It has remained a part of my life ever since then. And how is it that you started to recognize that? Um, I... I am a rape survivor, and I was thinking about one day about marriage and family and didn't believe that I could ever have any kind of a relationship with a man, and um, just felt like women were prettier, more fun to be with. I enjoyed my time with them. I was definitely more excited to spend time with women, and I could see myself spending my life with another woman. I would have been happy if I could have married and uh, had my life with another woman. At that point in my life, that seemed very natural and normal. and um, that was just kind of my perception at the time. And this was when you were 12? Yeah, 12 to 13, I would say, yeah. And so you had been raped younger than that? Yes, I was 11. I, I actually, um, the summer before I turned 12, I, I was raped. Okay. And so once you decided that you felt more comfortable with the idea of being married to a woman than a man, uh, did you tell anybody right away? No, I didn't tell anyone. Um, it didn't seem relevant at the time. 
I just, it, it just wasn't something that I, my friends at the time weren't talking about boys. I, I actually went through a really horrible time my first year of junior high where because of what had happened to me the year before, I just couldn't connect with people. Um, I ended up almost flunking out of school, and so I didn't really have any friends that I would talk to. I was very isolated. Um, the following year, there was a group of about seven girls who befriended me, and um, even they just made sure I was never alone. They made sure I always had someone to eat with and invited me to their parties, but I didn't talk with them at all. So it wasn't a topic that I discussed with anyone. Had you told anybody that you had been raped? No, I didn't tell anyone. Um, I, when I was in high school, I told a few friends, and um, I told my husband before he got married. And that's pretty much all that I told until about five years ago. I finally told my parents. So you had not gone through any kind of therapy or anything by the time you got married? No, none. So at some point, did you start letting on to other people that you were experiencing same-sex attraction? Um, I told some friends when I was in high school. Those friends also experienced same-sex attraction. They were both male and female, and when I say some, we're talking maybe three, possibly four. Very, very few. So did you ever share with any of your um, church leaders your sense that you were experiencing same-sex attraction? When I went to BYU, I, I was 17 when I graduated, and right after I got there, I was called to teach Relief Society, and my bishop asked me if I felt worthy to do so. And I told him then that I was attracted to women, and um, we had a little discussion during which he asked if I was planning to act on those feelings, and I said no, and he said, then I think it's fine, and that was pretty much the extent of our conversation about it. And, and did you have any other conversations with your bishop about your same-gender attraction issues? No. Now, when you were growing up then in high school, as you identified yourself as someone who was experiencing same-sex attraction, did you you know, I guess, identify with you know, or empathize with other people who were coming out as gay? You know, just it was so rare uh, that that happened. It wasn't a topic of conversation. It wasn't in the media. Um, gay existed, and we knew about it, but it was so far removed from what we thought was our reality, even though it was my reality. It just didn't seem to be um, an issue that anybody would be interested in, quite frankly. Um, so I didn't really, it, it just seemed very logical to me. It didn't seem controversial at all. Um, there was one young man from a different school that was in, he, he competed in uh, the same type of competition that I was in, and he came out to his friends during one of our um, competitions, and it was a big, huge emotional thing where everybody was all upset and screaming and crying, and I thought, well, I don't want that. So, yeah, I just. It just, that was my only experience with anyone ever coming out with any kind of impact. The rest of us just kind of talked about it quietly, occasionally, or not at all. How did the fact that you were experiencing same-sex attraction and the experience you had uh, with someone coming out affect the way that you viewed yourself? It, it seemed very, um, to me, what happened seemed very unnecessary and unre uh, unreal. I just couldn't believe that it was such a big deal to anyone. Um, it, it, it was such a private thing to me, and um, I just I couldn't understand how it could affect anyone else. Keep in mind that I didn't have any deep relationships with anyone until I met my husband. It was difficult for me to connect with anyone emotionally, and so the thought of 
having someone feel anything about my feelings didn't even occur that it didn't occur to me that that could ever happen. So I, yeah, it just seemed like a lot of noise about something that wasn't that important. So did you date young men while you were growing up? I did. Um, it was socially acceptable to date, and so I did. Um, my first experiences with dating were not the greatest. I didn't enjoy them at all, and they weren't with people that I really liked that much. Um, then I I started dating a young man who had been my friend since seventh grade, and um, that relationship actually went on for about six months. Uh, it wasn't a great relationship as far as our relationship with each other, but I loved being with his family. I didn't have a great family life as far as my relationships with my parents were concerned. And so um, I maintained that relationship with him so that I could participate my, in that relationship with his family, especially with his mom, who was very nurturing and um, just very sweet. I enjoyed being with her so much. Um, she was kind of a role model for me. And then um, finally broke off things with him because it, just, it was difficult. It was really difficult for me to pretend that I was feeling things for him when I really wasn't. And then... Um, any dating that I did after that was just on a friendship basis. For instance, my best friend who was a young man took me to my junior prom, my senior prom. Um, no, it would have been my junior prom, I guess. <laughs> so he took me to my senior prom. My senior prom, I didn't attend. I just had a big party at my house with everybody that didn't have dates. Um, so I just kept dating very low-key, and I didn't ever date anyone exclusively after that. What about when you got to college? Did you continue any dating during that time? Actually, prior, just prior to college, I met a young man who was a really wonderful friend, and he went on a mission, and I think um, that was the first time I ever entertained the thought that maybe I might get married. Um, I, I loved being with him. I, again, loved his family, but I, I just didn't, I, when it came right down to it, I couldn't ever see myself married, and so um, he left on his mission, and I didn't date him anymore, but I did date. We We did what we called buddy dating in our apartment where we would choose someone else for our roommate to date and we would go as a group and it was it was really a lot of fun but again no pressure for me because it wasn't romantic um so I did that kind of dating probably for the next couple of years so aside from having told your bishop once you got to college uh was there anyone else that you were confiding in about your same-sex attraction while you were at college no I didn't tell anyone at that point it was the it was the 90s and um Things were beginning to become a little more clear-cut about gay people and how they were politically perceived and socially perceived. And um, I was old enough then that I could understand that coming out would, at BYU would be socially suicidal. And um, it just really wasn't something I wanted to do. Did you have any kind of fear that if you did come out at BYU that your ability to continue as a student at BYU would be in jeopardy? You know, I didn't ever think that it would because, I, as I said, I wasn't acting on it. I was doing nothing wrong. So I didn't, that, did, that thought didn't occur to me, but I wasn't sure how my roommates would perceive me. Um, and I really was, I had great friendships with my roommates. That for the first time in my life, I really felt close to women my own age in a friendship setting where it was wholesome and really healthy. And I wasn't willing to jeopardize that at all. And your bishop, I guess, was an on-campus bishop? He was. Yes. Okay, so this was a student ward, and you had told your your bishop that you were experiencing same-gender attraction, but he did not raise that as an issue with respect to your standing as a student. He didn't. So at what point did you meet your husband? He actually came to visit my home evening brothers and got into an accident on his way there, and so his 
stay with my home evening brothers was about two weeks long. It was towards the end of school, um, and he started dating one of my friends, and they we all just became very good friends. And then over the summer, he would call me periodically, and we would just talk for a long time, and then he decided to enroll as a student the next fall. Um, and so he would come to my apartment, and we liked having him there because he had a car and we didn't, so he would take us grocery shopping, and that was a big plus. And he was a lot of fun. We spent, he and I spent a lot of time together. And I knew that he wanted to date me. He had told me that. And I had basically said, no, I'm not dating anybody. And um, so uh, I would suggest different people for him to date, thinking, you know, he's such a nice man and someone should marry him. So he would date those different people. He was very amenable. And then he would come back and tell me about the date. And then he would ask if we could go out. And I would say no. And then um, he ended up dating one of my roommates who is a very, very close friend of mine. And she came back from the date and told me, you know what, I think I'm in love with him. And in something clicked in my head that went, if she marries him, he can't be my best friend anymore. And um, so I sat down and started thinking about that, and I thought, he wants to date me. He says he's in love with me. Is this someone I want in my life forever? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it really was someone that I wanted in my life every single day for the rest of my life. So even if I wasn't attracted to him, I was definitely in love with him on some level. And um, so when he came back to visit the next night, I suggested that we get married. And Wow. So <laughs> you proposed. I did. And, and so how did he react to that? He, he actually said, um, I wish you meant that. And I said, I do. And he said, okay, let's do it. And I said, okay. And that <laughs> that was the extent of it. And then over the course of the next few months, we had a lot of conversations Um I told him, I actually took him to meet my family so he could see the kind of background I came from. And um, some of it was positive, a lot of it was negative, but he was able to get a good picture of where that was from. I did tell him I was a rape survivor and explained what that had done to me. And I also told him in that same conversation that I was attracted to women. And I think he was absolutely floored that the possibility, he couldn't make, he couldn't, it didn't compute in his mind. It didn't make sense because he just didn't even comment on the same-sex attractive thing and only addressed the rape survival thing. And so in my mind, I had talked to him about it, and we were good. And in his mind, it wasn't making sense, and so he just was going to pretend it didn't exist. So when you said that he was floored, are you referring to the rape situation? I think all of it. Okay. I think just it was just so much to um, process and you're thinking of marrying this person, and there's a lot of damage to this person. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, there was just so much to process, and he focused on the one thing that he could think about that made sense to him. How did things progress from there? You know, initially our marriage was pretty rocky as far as um, intimacy was concerned. I didn't enjoy it, but I was insistent that we um, continue because there was some part of me that said, if we keep doing this, it will eventually become easier, and I will, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. That was all I could think of. Um, now let's back up a little bit. So, you know, you told him that you experienced attraction toward women. Did, did you use the term lesbian? I didn't. Okay, you just told her, told him that you I, had feelings. I like girls. Okay. <laughs> I okay. I preach girls. Yes. And at some point, you said that he was kind of, um, I guess, in denial about that. Um, that he didn't. It didn't really register. At some point, did you have a more direct discussion with him about your same-sex attraction? 
When I started um, meeting with young kids and just giving, basically when I started meeting with them, um, what I provided for them was a place to talk. That was my sole goal, just come here and talk, and you can say whatever you want. Because when you don't talk about having same-gender attractions, they become larger, and they consume you, and that's all you can think about. And I wanted them to get beyond that so that they could see that life has a lot more to offer than just who you're attracted to. And as a teenager, that's a difficult place to get to when you're heterosexual. But when you're not, it's even bigger. So when I first started inviting these young men and young women into my home to talk, I sat down and I said, do you remember? And he said, actually, no. And I said, okay, let's have a discussion then. And so we talked about it again. And um, he said vaguely he had a recollection, but he, it really hadn't been anything we had discussed probably for the first 15 years of our marriage. We hadn't sat down and talked about it. Um, so at that point, we did, we, we sat down and we discussed what it meant and, and how it affected me and how it would affect him and so forth. So by this time, you've been married for about 15 years. Um, uh-huh. How had your marriage gone? Had you, had you gone to any kind of therapy? Um, had there been any kind of, of, of issues arise in your marriage that needed addressing? You know, the, the interesting thing is that um, there were so many things, our marriage just, had so many things that kept cropping up that were um, sort of crises that just kind of took us away from everything else. For instance, after my first son was born, I started to grow tumors in my bladder, and they were unexplainable. They couldn't figure out why I was getting those, and so um, I went I, I went under surgeries and, and medications and finally chemotherapy for at least three years. And then um, one day I decided to try some different things. I tried to nat- some natural remedies. I changed my diet drastically and my lifestyle drastically, and they went away. So who knows if it was because of all the other treatments or because of what I did. But those types of things kept cropping up in our lives constantly, and they were distracting us away from anything that might be uh, have anything to do with same-sex attraction at all. So we were kept pretty busy. As far as how our marriage went, I felt very close to my husband. Um, After probably about three or four years, everything kind of settled down, and we figured out a nice. um, We figured out how to express love to each other without having little glitches and um, stress. For me, the sexual part of our marriage was actually more frightening because of the rape than because of not being attracted physically. So um, there was a lot of communication that went on there as far as how do I approach you and can you let me know when things are not going well and that kind of thing. And I think that open communication was more important than anything else. So at any time during your marriage, did your marriage reach some kind of crisis point where either one of you were concerned about whether you were going to be able to continue in your marriage relationship? The only time those times have happened have been when um, we've both been under a great deal of stress, and um, it, to me, has seemed like a very normal, we're having a fight now type of thing, and it wasn't based on, I'm attracted to other women, or um, we things aren't working out the way we expect them to sexually. It was always just um, something was happening in our lives, and we were not um, managing it well. 
And so it eventually exploded into some sort of fight or something like that. And I can count on one hand the number of times that's happened. Okay. I guess it's safe to say that your husband never expressed uh, dissatisfaction with the sexual relationship you had to the extent that it threatened your marriage. No. In fact, I've asked him point blank, and he said that's always been a very lovely part of our relationship. So that makes me happy. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, has there ever been a need in your marriage or have have you um, engaged between yourselves in uh, therapy for your marital relationship? Um, when I started going to therapy about five years ago to get some help with the abuse and the um, the problems I'd have with, had with uh, rape, uh, he went with me a few times, quite a few times actually, um, for the purpose of just making sure that our marriage remained strong because that's a very difficult thing to go through therapy with. I also have post-traumatic stress disorder, which also can destroy marriages. And um, so he would go just to make sure he understood what was happening with me and how he could be a strength to me and um, someone that I could go to to talk to when I needed rather than me turning to someone, some other place. So it was it was more a marriage maintenance thing than a marriage salvaging thing, if that makes sense. Right. He was supporting you in your therapy right. rather than um, going to try to repair the marriage. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. At what point did you start participating in therapy? Uh, about five years ago. Um, the person who raped me, his wife committed suicide, and that just kind of, I knew her, I liked her. And I was uh, a mass of feeling a great deal of vengeful feelings, like he deserved it, and at the same time a great deal of sorrow because I didn't want her to die. And I didn't know how to sort through those feelings at all. And at that point, I started to cry and couldn't stop. And my, my husband asked me what was going on, and I told him, he said, you know, we need to go talk to your dad. And that was when I told my parents for the first time what had happened. And my dad got me right into therapy immediately. And... um and I have been there ever since because at this point I feel like I'm I'm pretty good as far as dealing with being a rape survivor, but I'm still learning how to manage PTSD. That's a tough thing. At any time did it occur to you to engage in therapy with respect to same-gender attraction? I, I didn't ever have therapy about that. I, I actually discussed it with my husband, and uh, he his feeling was that as long as it didn't seem to be an issue in our marriage, and I didn't feel like it was an issue, he was fine if I didn't have therapy. And um, my therapist saw us both together and offered if we needed it. Um, but at that point, we had been married for quite a while. Our marriage was good and solid, and I wasn't feeling... Um, anxious or I I guess I wasn't feeling any void in my life because I didn't have a same gender partner. Um, it just didn't seem like it was a good time or like it was even necessary. So, no, I've never had therapy for it. And that was, um, I guess, about 15 years into your marriage. Is that right? Right. <clears throat> and now you've been married for over 20 years, I guess. Right. And, um, and and to this day, uh, you haven't felt like same-gender attraction has um, threatened the strength or stability of your marriage. No, I think <clears throat> I think I have to be very clear 
um, there is a certainly a level uh, of int- intimacy in our marriage that is difficult for me to reach because he is a man. I don't even know how to explain it. I have to think about it. I have to prepare myself. But again, it's all mixed in with the um, the issue of rape and just being sure that I'm safe. And at the same time, I've always just viewed if I'm attracted to a woman that in my head that just is like any other marriage where if I was attracted to another man, that might be an issue. Um, you don't engage those feelings. You recognize them. You understand they're normal, but they're not um, they're not going to help your marriage. So it's been very easy for me to just look at any attraction I've had and said, everybody feels attraction. This is how I feel attraction. I will, you know, I've made a promise to be chaste and to honor my marriage, and I will. And that's just how I have um, dealt with that. Right. Well, so as you as you researched same-gender attraction and therapies, um, did you develop any kind of sense for what causes same-sex attraction? Yeah, there are lots of theories. Um, I think the one that I respond to the most is that I, that <clears throat> there was definitely a feeling that I didn't connect with my um, same-gender parents the way I wanted to. Um, I don't. I had a great need for touch that I don't feel like happened in the way that I would have liked it. And uh, that seems to be a, a stereotype for a lot of people who have same-sex attraction is that they didn't have bonding with their same-sex parent in the way that might have been healthy and helpful to them. But I am also very careful to say that I don't know that that is it's like a, that's a very pat answer, and I think there are a number of reasons why people are same-sex attracted. I think that some people are predisposed towards same-sex attraction. and um, You mean by virtue of biology? By virtue of biology, yes. I think some people are definitely, um, <clears throat> they have greater tendency toward it than others. And uh, I don't think we know. I don't think, I think there needs to be a lot more study go into it before someone gives us an answer that will satisfy that question. Some people have argued that people with same-sex attraction should not get married because it would just ultimately lead to divorce and misery for for both of the parties. How do you respond to that? I think it. I think people need to be very careful when they tell people what they should and should not do, and that's not a decision that can be made by anyone but the party involved in the decision. Um, I do not tell people to get married. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think it was the answer for me. I think I was very blessed and I think I'm unique um, in that I found someone that I'm completely compatible with and who is very patient and helpful in every aspect of my life. But it certainly isn't a cure-all and it certainly wasn't easy. Um, yeah, I, I think we need to be careful in giving advice because nobody knows how the other person is wired. Um, there, there is a <clears throat> psychologist named Warren Throckmorton who's been doing some research about different types of attraction, and, and there are definitely different types of attraction. And for my particular person, I am wired to be attracted to men emotionally. I am more emotionally attracted to men than I am to women and more physically attracted to women than I am to men. And I think that's one of the reasons why I am able to be married and to have a completely compatible, satisfying marriage is because of that different 
that difference. Someone maybe who was emotionally attracted to women exclusively and physically attracted to women exclusively would have probably a very difficult time being married to a man. Well, how unique is your situation? From your perspective, um, are, are there other people you know who experience same-sex attraction who have been able to successfully marry people of the opposite sex? Definitely. Um, in fact, I recently discovered a new person. Um, <clears throat> recently, she's a little older than I am, who um, has been married a little longer than I am, who um, she's very happy with her marriage, has no desire to leave it or to seek out a female companion. Um, but she she uh, spoke to me about that because her Relief Society president came out and left with her girlfriend and was excommunicated and is now married to her girlfriend. And so that kind of was a wake-up call to her that not everybody feels the same way when they're in a mixed orientation marriage, that for some people it definitely is more difficult than others. And I do have a lot of friends, <clears throat> both in and out of the church, who are in mixed orientation marriages, and some are more satisfied than others, but most of them are pretty happy with their situation. So what do you think people can do to prevent a negative outcome in a, a marriage to somebody of the opposite sex when they feel attracted to people of the same sex? I think the first thing you have to do is be absolutely open about it. Um, because of the time when I grew up, because of the, the social aspects of my particular teenagehood and childhood, I wasn't able to have even the vocabulary I needed to discuss it with my husband. But I knew very well that there was nothing I could not discuss with him, that if the time came, when the time came, he would be able to talk about it with me. Um, so I think that's why we were able to be as openly as we were about it when the time came. But I really feel it's crucial if you're planning to get married to someone of the opposite sex, if you are same gender attracted, that they be fully aware of what you feel and how what they're getting into because they're going to have to make some concessions and they're going to have they're going to have to be some things that happen as far as um, your level of int intimacy is how you talk about things and um, there might be times when you have to just back off and let that person be because if you push it they're going to feel threatened and um, you don't ever want that in a marriage uh, I talked to a couple recently and the wife it was a Mixed orientation marriage where the man was homosexual, and the wife was telling me that um, she was very happy with the marriage and she was really happy with their intimacy, but she always felt like um, she felt very, very heartbroken because there was always a part of her, a part of him that she would not be able to satisfy. And um, I said, you know, I think that's true of heterosexual marriages, too. I don't think any couple is completely compatible. There's always one certain thing that isn't being satisfied, and I think that's part of why we're put together as couples on earth is because Heavenly Father wants us to work out an imperfect marriage so that in the eternities it can become perfect. It can't become so if it already is from the get-go. This is all part of a learning process, and we have an added element in ours, but I don't see it as that different from a regular heterosexual marriage. If heterosexual marriages were perfect, there would not be divorce, and there is. Yeah, such a great point. Um, what kind of experience, then, have you had with church leaders? You know, you mentioned the first bishop you had on campus. You know, you mentioned to him, mentioned it to him, and then that was the end of it. As you, uh, as you got older, you know, what kind of need did you feel to share with your church leaders that, that you were experiencing same-sex attraction? 
Um, I think I first shared it with my bishop because... Um, now, are you talking about your college bishop, or is this after you got married? Yeah, sorry. Uh, this was after I was married. This was after I started working, um, I use that term loosely, speaking with young men and young women who are same gender attractive. I just felt like there was such a need for our church leaders in our area to become more aware of what it is, who these people were. They were they were these faceless uh group of people who were going to bring about Sodom and Gomorrah and Armageddon, and I just was like, you're so out of touch, you need to see these people. So I contacted four young men that I had been speaking with frequently and had them come do a fireside for all of the stake leaders in our stake, and I was able to do that because my dad was the stake president at the time, and he had, I had his full support, and so they just came and they talked about their experience of learning that they were that they were homosexual and learned and talked about the loneliness they can feel at church and um, how it's difficult for them to remain active, but they want to. And I think all but one were return missionaries at the time. And um, so it was for bishops and uh, bishoprics and uh, Relief Society presidents, youth leaders. We just had them all come and listen to these young men speak. And I had told my bishop then that um, I was saying gender attracted, and I just felt like we needed more awareness in the area and understanding because it wasn't happening and um, we we can't expect these we can't expect people who are same gender attracted to stay active in the church if we have these attitudes about them so that at, at that point he knew um, my dad is no longer my state president but my current state president is aware of, of this of my of, that I am same gender attracted um, he went to high school with me so it wasn't uh, it kind of everything clicked into place for him when I told him. He went, oh, well, that makes sense, uh, some other things that I've been wondering about you. And um, they're basically the only church leaders that I have told. More people are aware of it than that because I'm very active in the um, – working in, like, Evergreen. I've worked – I've done some things with Evergreen and with North Star, and so I'm not invisible. Um, a lot of people know who I am. I have told a few close friends. I told a former roommate, and my sisters are aware. Um, so it's not – most of the, most of the time when I tell people, it is for the purpose of, can is there something I can do? First of all, to help in the stake, will you refer people to me if they need someone to talk to right away before they get into therapy or just some help getting through the hoops of um, I'm really – I'm hurting, I'm depressed, I need someone to hang on to just until I can get the help I need. Um, and then also, can we do some things to help our state become a little more aware of how to treat people, because sometimes they're not very good at that. Now, you know, when we talk about uh, people in the church who uh, experience frustration and um, loneliness and maybe feeling cut off from others, is there anything about the doctrine of the church that you think contributes to that? The pure doctrine, I don't think we can say public. Yeah, actually, if you would imagine for a second how you would feel if someone you had great respect for that was very high up in the church said to you, you know, we understand that your life is really difficult now, but after you die and are resurrected, it will all change and you can be married to a man for time and all eternity. I'm quite sure you wouldn't respond really positively to that. Um, and that is the that's the pat answer that we're presented with as um, same-sex attracted individuals. We'll fix you after you die, 
and then you can marry someone of the opposite sex. And if that is something that really is, um, I mean, I'm quite sure that if you ponder, contemplate being married to someone of the same sex, that's not something you want to stay with for very long. That's not happy for you. And that is very similar to how we feel when um, people start presenting us with, well, yeah, one day you'll have a wife and a family. We're going, well, but you don't understand. We're not at that point yet. We're not at the point where we can say, that's great, let's have a party. It's really scary, and it's uncomfortable, and we're not really sure how we feel about that. So that type of doctrine that gets thrown at us all the time, that can be very um, alienating. So so you're, you're talking about someone who um, is not comfortable with the idea of marrying someone of the opposite sex, being told, don't worry, later you'll be happy about it. Uh, right. At, at this point they they aren't happy about the idea, and they're not sure how they could be happy about that idea in the future. But it's incomprehensible to them a lot of times. They just they can't even imagine it, and to imagine it is not. It's nightmarish. It's not, it's not eternal happiness in their mind. And we have to be aware that what we perceive, or and I'm using that term we loosely because I am married to a man, um, but what is perceived as um, and preached as the plan of happiness does not seem happy to someone who is wired differently. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And so they come to church every week and they hear people talking about their temple marriages and their families, and they yearn for those things. They want them because that's what they've been taught will bring them happiness, um, and they can't have them under the terms that would feel the most comfortable to them. Clearly, that's not going to happen. And so it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. It's lonely. Uh, they feel like there's something terribly wrong with them, and really there's not something terribly wrong with them. They just are attracted to members of the same gender. Um, I'm sorry, that doesn't destroy who they are personally and make them some sort of freak. Yeah, it, it, it means that they are <clears throat> experiencing something that most of the rest of us aren't experiencing, but that's how life is, isn't it? I, you know, we all have things that make life, dif- life difficult for us, but sometimes it's hard for us to understand, I think, what other people are experiencing, what they're going through. It's true. Um, so what do you think church leaders can do to make things easier for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and yet want to remain faithful members of the church? I think the first thing we can do is start talking about it. It's really still taboo. Um, You say homosexual, you say gay, and immediately people think bad, 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 and that needs to stop. Um, That's that's not going to help anyone. It certainly isn't going to foster good relationships between those who desperately need it um, and members of the church. Um, I will just give you an example of something I have encountered. I went to sacrament meeting early one day, and... um, I was sitting in the back row, and this was back when Utah was having its um, the legislation about giving gay gay, gay people more rights as far as um, their living. Um, I can't really remember everything, but the Salt Lake City Ordinance. Yes, yes, thank you. The Salt Lake City Ordinance, which allowed them better access to jobs and housing and so forth, um, and the church had actually ruled that that was a good thing, and so. I was sitting in church, and there were two men seated in front of me, and one of them started talking about hunting season, and they were, he, he asked the other guy if he had his license, he said, yeah, I've got my elk license, and when are you going to go, you know, this is normal talk in this time of year where I live, and um, 
then one of the men said, did you hear all that crap that's going on in Utah? And the other guy said, yeah. He said, the other, and the first man said, I'm thinking of getting a very special hunting license and going hunting there. And um, he said, I'll take care of the problem. And I sat there and, and I thought, number one, you're in the chapel. Number two, you're going to partake of the sacrament. And number three, you just talked about killing a bunch of Christ's children. Um, this doesn't seem like what should be happening right now. And number four, you're talking about people I care about and me. And um, I just, I, that should never have been said. That should never have been said in that setting, setting, but it should never have been said at all. And the fact that it was said in front of someone who could be really hurt by it. Had I been at a different point in my life, I'm not sure I would have returned to church. That's a threat toward me physically. I mean, that's a threat on my life. Whether they meant it or not is immaterial. But the point is, that's not isolated. That's not the only time I've ever heard things like this happen. And um, I think we need to teach church members that's completely inappropriate. They should know better. That's not. I don't care what you feel about people who are homosexual, even those who are living the lifestyle. I don't care what you feel about them. That is not a Christ-like attitude, and that should not happen among church members ever. What do you think that um, church leaders can do who are counseling people who are experiencing same-sex attraction? You know, I think one of the things they need to do is find out what that person wants. A lot of times we get into this mode of telling them what they need and what they can do and what will happen. And I think we need to stop for a second and find out what what the same-sex attractive person wants and then um, work within those boundaries. Because quite honestly, you they know they know what they're supposed to do. They know what the gospel says, and they know what the bishop can tell them. But they may just need someone who can talk to them. They may need a friend. They may need a family. They may have been kicked out of their family when they came out, and they need, need someone who will take them in and let them have let him have dinner with them. Um, but I think the best thing leaders can do is allow that person to tell them what they think their needs are and then respond as to what's appropriate that the church can provide. And they'll know. Um, they need to offer blessings and they need to offer callings. Um, and I think they, they when, when lessons are given about eternal marriage and so forth, if that person is not at a point where they feel comfortable, they should be allowed to do something different for that week. Eventually they'll get to the point where they do feel comfortable when those lessons are taught. But pushing it something on them that is hurtful or feels alienating at the time, I don't think that's the right way to, to make them feel like they have a home at church. you think the church is doing better with respect to dealing with its single members? I do, um, I, especially if you compare it to, say, 30 years ago. I think it's much better. Um, I, I know when my husband came home from his mission, the first thing he was told was, go get married. Uh, I know that some of the young men I've counseled with that are same-sex attracted, if that was what they were told after their missions, that would have been very hard for them. They, um, A lot of them feel that that mission is a really special time of their life. A lot of them feel free of their attractions during their missions. And um, some of them don't, and some of them act on them during their missions, but that's rare. But even those that I know that have left the church, they speak of their time on their mission uh, as a really good time of life. A, a good time. There are a few that haven't, but the majority of them really, really appreciated what they learned and what they experienced during their missions. So, yeah, I think I think it is doing better as far as caring for single members and allowing for the fact that there will be single adults in our ward, and they won't all be widows and widowers. 
they'll be single for various reasons. You know, as you talk about the way in which people are treated at church and um, sometimes the insensitive things that are said, you know, I remember there's a statement in the pamphlet the church put out. Um, I think it's called God Loveth All His Children. Is that right? Yeah, God Loveth His Children, yes. Yeah, um, I've got a quote from there that I think is is really apropos in that regard. <clears throat> it says, Some people with same-gender attraction have felt rejected because members of the church did not always show love. No member of the church should ever be intolerant. As you show love and kindness to others, you give them an opportunity to change their attitudes and follow Christ more fully. You know, so it seems like that members of the church who are trying to help strengthen testimonies um, form unity within the congregation, can make um, strides toward doing it better by being more aware of the way in which comments like the ones you mentioned could be affecting people that, you know, maybe with an earshot. Um, and, and that there's, there's something fundamentally that needs to, to change within their own hearts as well, that, that they wouldn't even desire to say such a thing. And so it seems to me that the church as, as an institution and that the, the, the doctrine that's taught in the church is supportive and, and is, you know, provides hope and, and potential for, for peace, but that sometimes as members we're not always um, perfect in implementing uh, the doctrine and, and the ideal. Yeah, for instance, when I was working with young men in um – Utah, that's a far drive for me, and I wasn't always able to make it, and so I was trying to make contact with some men who would be mentors for some of these, some of them were quite young kids that I was working with, and I remember talking to one man that I, I have the greatest respect for, and I, I adore his wife, he has a great family, and I asked if he would be willing to just be on call if, if they needed someone to give a blessing, or if they needed just to come talk for an hour, or what, invite him to dinner, whatever, just be there for them occasionally it wouldn't they don't take a lot of time and his response to me was um i don't think i can do that because i have young children in my home indicating that he thought either that it was contagious or that they would be hurt somehow by it and i can tell you i've had these kids in my home for a long time and my children are better for it they're so much better for it. well obviously i've been in their home all their lives and i don't think i have destroyed them and my my husband has said his life got better when we started inviting these kids into our home. He loves them. He adores them. They're talented. They're funny. They're cute. Many of them end up leaving the church, leaving the church. That that can happen. They still stay in our lives. We still have them over. We love them. They're a part of our family. And so these ideas that, first of all, that young children are in danger from people who are homosexual, that needs to go out the window. They're not. They're not at all. And um, any more so than they would be from a heterosexual person. And the fact that they think that maybe being in contact with a homosexual might make their children homosexual, that's just bizarre. I don't even know where that comes from. But that needs to go away, too, because I've encountered it again and again and again, and it's frustrating for me. If that were true, my children would be homosexual, and they're not. So what do you think family members should do where there is maybe a son or a daughter who says, Mom and Dad, I have these feelings for people of my same gender, you know, the son maybe wants to bring their their partner home for Thanksgiving dinner. How, how would you approach circumstances like that? 
I think every every situation is unique, and every parents are still growing. Parents don't ever stop growing and learning. They have to mature even when they're in their 60s. So they have to take uh, – the child needs to take their parents' tolerance level into um, consideration as well as the parents trying to do what's best for their kids. Um, there, There's a man that I have contact with that recently told his parents that he had found a partner, and I love what his parents' response was. They, he knew that they would not be happy. He knew they would be disappointed, and their response was simply that they loved him and that um, it didn't matter what he chose. That love was not changing. They wanted him to be a part of the family. He would always be a part of the family. They kind of um, indicated there would need to be some time for them to get used to the idea. But um, I think you have to decide if this person is important to your son or daughter, are you going to exclude your son or daughter? If you if you put it in a heterosexual context, if your daughter or son was living with a girlfriend or boyfriend, would you say you can come but your girlfriend or boyfriend cannot? I don't know very many families that would do that. So, um there needs to be a pretty uh, close look at why the decisions are made that are made. In my mind, um, immorality is immorality, and I don't think we ostracize people because they're immoral. If they're family members, we try to care for them more more carefully and, and keep them closer so that they'll remember where they came from and where they're going. What I would like to see happen would be um, for the parents and the child to sit down and the parents say, uh, you understand because of the way you were taught that the lifestyle you've chosen is not one that we can condone. And not condoning your lifestyle does not mean we don't support or love you. And I would be very clear about boundaries. Should you come home with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, if if you weren't married to them and it was a heterosexual relationship, we wouldn't allow you to sleep in the same room. We would insist that you have separate rooms. And if you're not comfortable with that, then when you come visit us, we would appreciate it if you would get a hotel room so that we don't have to address that issue. You're an adult. You take responsibility for that, but we still want you here, and you bring the people that you love with you, and that's fine, too. Um, and that kind of conversation needs to take place, I think, where they talk about things they will encounter and how they will act around that. Right. And so there is a distinction drawn between the, um, I guess, the feelings that people may have versus the actions right. that they engage in. Right and the appropriateness in certain certain circumstances of engaging in certain actions. So the, the family understands that, um, you know, maybe a, a, a boy and his girlfriend are, are sleeping together, but they come into the family's home, um, you know, and there may be um, uh, messages that are sent to, uh, you know, younger family members about the appropriateness of, of the actions they're engaging in. Right. Um, so under those circumstances, you know, you would, I guess, concede that there are um, boundaries that the parents should be setting in their home for activity I think so. that's taking place. And I've talked to the, the kids that I that I counsel with. I've talked. I've been pretty blunt with them. I've said, "This is your parents' home. You need to respect that this is your parents' home. They don't owe you anything. When you go visit, you are a guest in their home, and you obey the home rules. If they have a curfew, you obey the curfew. If you're expected to do dishes." You do dishes. If you're unmarried, you don't have sex with the person that you're not married to. That's the way it is. You respect your parents and their rules. And um, I, I think it's a two-way street that you have to establish that respect between both parties in order for it to work out in a harmonious way. 
Now, what about in the church? Um, you know, there may be some people that would say experiencing same-sex attraction would prevent you from being a good member of the church. Uh, how would you respond to that? I would respond that they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and just what is a good member of the church? Please define that for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, would, would you say that, uh, you know, somebody who is smoking should not be allowed to, you know, to participate in, you know, church activities or coming to church? Our state president says that the more members that come to church that smell like smoke, the happier he is, because that means they're there instead of out smoking somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a state president who suggested, uh, you know, if we put um, – ashtrays, uh, you know, around the, the building that, uh, you know, if that'll bring in more people to, to church, he's fine with that. You know, and then you've, you've probably heard the the uh, saying that, uh, you know, if all of our sins smelled like cigarette smoke, that you know, our sacrament meetings would uh, be pretty stinky. Because, you know, all of us have things that we're experiencing and struggling with, and, and all of us are sinners, was a young man once who said to me that he wished everybody had a tag, a name tag that said, hi, my name is, and I have difficulty with this. And we all just wore it so we could all see all the things that everybody was struggling with and having trouble with. He said if we could see it, if it was there in print, then we would be a lot less quick to judge and a lot more quick to show empathy and love. And um, same gender attraction is I don't see it as any more different as any other difficulty that one encounters in life. And for some people, it's not a difficulty. I'll be quite honest. Right now in my life, it's not a difficulty for me. It's just part of who I am. I know that if I'm ever attracted to someone, it will be female. End of story. That's all there is to it for me. That's not always that simple for other people who have some people really yearn for connection and, and love with a same gender spouse or partner. Um, I don't have that difficulty, and I'm very blessed. But I know a lot of other people do, and I understand that. And so it's easy for me to say, um, I know how you feel, and I'm sorry that's really difficult. And if you stay in the church, you'll make a decision that's really difficult, really difficult, because you will say, okay, I can't have something that I want more than anything in life, and you'll stay in the church. Or you'll say, I'm going to give up that thing that has defined me all my life and that I've thought for all my life so that I can have a partnership with a same-gender person. And those are some pretty terrifying things that you have to decide. So short of putting a sign on ourselves when we come into, you know, the church building announcing, you know, what our weaknesses or temptations are, um, you know, to what extent do you think individuals who are experiencing same-gender attraction should come out to their fellow ward members or even to their fellow family members? I think really, really depends on where their comfort level is. I'm not comfortable going to church and telling it, talking about it. Um, I don't think it's anyone's business, and I'd be really uncomfortable if a heterosexual person came to church and started talking about their sex life um, or who they were attracted to. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's appropriate. But um, I think in the instance of maybe if you were in a single ward and you didn't have family support and you really, really needed some connections, that might be something you could confide in people and say, you know, this is actually something that makes me feel this even more deeply, the need for connection and the need for friends. And um, I just really think it depends on the comfort level of the person. I don't think it necessarily has to be talked about constantly, but there may be some people who would really like to talk about it, and that opportunity may be up to be presented to them. 
Now, in your case, we've been discussing these things, and I've been calling you Samantha. Um, that's a pseudonym. Um, that's not your real name. Why is it that you personally would feel uncomfortable letting everybody know that you're experiencing same-gender attraction? Well, one of the reasons is because of that conversation I, I just told you that I overheard. As long as those kinds of attitudes are prevalent in, in my ward, in my stake, I'm not really happy about revealing myself as I am. Um, I've also had, I, I keep a blog online, and I have had threats made to my family and children by someone who researched some background and, and found out who I was. And um, I just would really, as long as I have children in my home, I don't want them to bear the repercussion of ignorant people who think that because your mother's gay, there's something wrong with you. Uh, I, I just really, they say they're fine with it, but I'm not fine with it. I don't feel good about it. Um, as I said at the very beginning, most of my callings have been with the youth, and I adore the youth, and I'm, I have, I think I'm very effective with them. Um, I would feel very badly if a mother went to the bishop and said, I'm uncomfortable with this gay woman working with my child. And that's not an impossibility. That's actually a very high probability. I'm pretty sure I can think of the person who would do that or people who would do that. And so um, I have a great deal of discomfort revealing who I am in a, in a place where I know that it would be misunderstood and that I would be judged unfairly. Now, you've had bishops who have been aware of your same-gender attraction, and yet they have given you callings with the youth, right? Yes. And w was that ever a problem for any of the bishops that you've dealt with? Did they ever um, suggest that since you're experiencing same-sex attraction that you should not have a calling in the church? No, in fact, um, when I told my former bishop about it, he was very adamant that that, that didn't make a difference in how he perceived me, how he thought of me. But keep in mind that he had also been, he had also attended the fireside that I put on with the other young men. And uh, so he had a deeper understanding of what it meant and what it didn't mean. And um, so he was able to judge more fairly where, with the place that same gender attraction has in my life, which is actually a very, very tiny part of who I am. All right. Well, you know, and and I like the analogy between, um, you know, heterosexual um, experiences and homosexual experiences. You know, the fact that I'm a heterosexual is part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. And, you know, it brings up issues in my life that, you know, I need to, to uh, keep in check. Um, you know, there's, there's activities that if I were to engage in, that I may feel tempted toward, that it could call into question my standing in the church. But um, so long as I am able to keep, you know, my temptations and inclinations, you know, in check and, and consistent with the law of chastity, then I'm able to be a fully active temple recommend holding member of the church. And that is how the church teaches that same-sex attraction individuals should be treated as well. You know, have you, has anyone, any church leader ever called into question your right to hold a temple recommend because you are experiencing same-sex attraction? No, in fact, that's not even part of the interview. They don't even ask that. Well, they ask if you're obeying the law of chastity, right? Yeah. And it's, it's entirely possible to obey the law of chastity and feel 
attracted to members of the same sex. And I guess that's, um, you know, in your experience, no church leader has ever suggested otherwise. No. Is that right? No, they haven't. And it makes complete sense. They're not going to take away your recommend if you're attracted to another woman. They're only going to take it away if you allow that to become something that you should not. Right. And even with respect to church discipline, now, you know, I've tried to figure out how we can set forth the church's position on these things short of, you know, interviewing, you know, somebody from the um, public relations, you know, public affairs department. So the public affairs department's directed me to the church handbook, which is online. It's available to, to everybody to go look it up. And um, there is a statement from the church on homosexual behavior and same-gender attraction. And rather than reading the whole thing, people can look that up online. But it specifically says those who persist in homosexual behavior or who influence others to do so are subject to discipline. But it says that that members who do not engage in homosexual behavior should be supported and encouraged by their church leaders. And they may receive callings. If they're worthy and qualified in every other way, they may also hold temple recommends and receive temple ordinances. You know, I wonder how many church members are fully aware of the way that, um, you know, the stance the church has taken and the distinction that's drawn between the feelings or temptations or tendencies that someone may have versus the activities or behaviors. Um, What's your sense in that regard? Well, I think a lot of it is upbringing. The church can only say so much, but as long as in the home things are statements, anti-gay statements that they're made in the home, um, a child will absorb that and will think along those same lines as they get older. And so I think in order for what the church has said, which I actually am really grateful for, they and they have made that handbook available to all people who have callings. And it's, like you said, it's available online. Everybody can look it up. But I think um, more members of the church need to kind of look at how they are talking about same-sex attraction in their home. And a lot of times the extent of how they're talked to, it's talked about is if the child says, let's say they say something, they say something along the lines of, that's really, really bad and people who are gay are evil. I mean, that's summing it up. But that said, and that's really simplistic and incorrect. It needs to be addressed differently. And um, if your kids are old enough to talk about it and it's being talked about in, in the, it's talked about in their schools, um, families would be, parents would be well advised to see what the church has said and teach their children accordingly. What's your sense of um, the way in which members in your ward would react in general if they were to be aware that you experienced same-sex attraction? You mentioned that, you know, there may be one member in particular you'd be concerned about. Is it more of an isolated thing, or are you are you observing something more generally among church membership in terms of attitudes towards um, homosexuals? I think it's a mixed bag. There are members of my ward who would be fine, who would who know me well and who would say, well, that's none of my business. That would be their stance, and, that, and they're right. And there would be other people who would kind of freak out a little bit and say, um, I didn't know that, and she's not who I thought she was, and feel like I had um, misled them somehow. And there would be others who would be adamantly opposed to my being in any calling at all. But I also think there would be some who would say, um, that must be difficult. Can we talk about it? Um, those are the people I'm the most grateful for, the ones who are open to hearing more about a topic that 
they maybe just don't understand the way they would like to. So if a church member is aware that somebody is experiencing same-gender attraction, would it be welcomed for, you know, a church member to approach them and say, is there anything you'd like to talk about? What can I do to, to help, you know, make, make your life easier here in the ward? Yeah, I definitely would be willing to discuss it with anyone who wished to learn more about it. And, and I feel like I actually can speak from a number of different perspectives because of my involvement with different people. And also because of where I work, um, I have a lot of contact with um, homosexual people that are not members of the church. And I hear a lot of their stories. And um, so, yeah, I would love it if people would come talk to me and just for the purpose of learning more and having the greater understanding and then use that knowledge if they encounter someone in their family, in the ward, in the youth or whatever, to help make their lives a little less stressful, a little more easy. What role has the gospel played in your life as you have experienced the same-sex attraction issues? You know, there was a time in my life when I didn't believe the church was true. Um, Part of that was because I could not fathom how a God that loved me would allow what happened to me to happen to me, Uh, how he could sit by and watch a child be raped. That didn't make sense to me. And um, so I studied, for a long time, I studied a whole bunch of different religions and investigated them because I just, um, I went, you know, I studied atheism, I studied Buddhism, I studied Zoroastrianism, (laughs) I studied everything I could think of because in my head, the God that was portrayed to me could not exist. There was no way he could love me if he allowed that to happen to me. Um, When I eventually came to the point where I understood a little better what was going on and and when I I had some experiences that helped my testimony come back into play, um, that was when I felt like um, I could ask something of the Lord and he would grant it to me. And what I asked of him was that my marriage to my husband would always be strong and pure, Um, meaning that I would not feel like I had experienced a loss for doing something I felt was good and right in the auspices of the gospel. And I think that he has always granted that to me. Now, I don't think that's a global privilege that everybody gets, but for me, that was something that I did receive. And so the role that the gospel has played as far as that goes is that I've always felt that my marriage has been protected um, spiritually in everything that has happened to it. What is it that helped you to regain your testimony in the gospel? You know, those are kind of personal questions. (laughs) And I don't know that I'm really comfortable talking about them. Um, There were just a number of spiritual manifestations that let me know that the Lord was aware of me and um, that he did love me. And even though I didn't understand one day, I would understand the reasons why I was allowed to experience what I experienced. And um, I'll be quite honest, I'm still not at a place where I understand that, but I have a great deal of faith and trust, and um, I'm grateful for that. So it sounds like the thing that was most challenging to you in your testimony was your experience having been a rape victim. And the experience with same-sex attraction has not been as 
threatening to the foundation of your testimonies. Is that, am I hearing you correctly? You are, because quite honestly, when I recognized that I was same gender attracted, it made complete sense to me. I was relieved. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to marry a man. It was kind of like I had been handed this great lottery ticket that said, yay, because you're same-sex attracted, you don't have to be with a man for the rest of your life. <laughs> and um, so I never went there. I never went to, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me, and I'm never going to have a temple marriage. I just never – I never went there. It didn't ever occur to me to go there. And – um it was as much a surprise to me when I decided to get married as anybody else. That um, I, it was very sudden, and it just felt like it was okay, and I would be okay doing it. So yeah, I don't. It, I was actually really grateful when um, when I came to that realization, and I had fully intended to leave the church, so that was not a part of it. And um, things didn't work out quite the way I had planned. Samantha, what else would you like people to know about your experience and um, about the way in which the church relates to same-sex attraction issues? I guess here's what I would I would say is that I I ex- I fully expect that um, the issue of same-sex attraction as it has it will evolve politically and socially for its who knows how long it will become a, it, it is it is already an issue that's at the forefront of our lives and it will stay there i don't expect that it's going anywhere um i i would counsel parents to talk about it with their families and to talk about it in a positive way meaning yes this exists um not everybody makes the choices that will be against our gospel some people are faithful and choose to remain in the church some of those people get married and some don't um I see it as an opportunity as we become more aware of people who are same-gender attracted within the gospel for people to step back and say, we really made some judgments, and maybe we need to work on not making judgments and just kind of getting to know people and understanding how we can help and support people. You talked earlier about bearing one another's burdens. You can't bear someone's burden if you're busy looking at them and saying, ooh, you're yucky because you like people that are the same gender as you. You can't do that. Um, so... I think Heavenly Father has blessed us with this opportunity to um, get to know people a little bit more closely, understand the things that they go through, and try to meet with meet their needs without judgment. Right. You know, I really love the comment that's um, or, or the connection that's drawn in "God loveth His children" in the pamphlet about same-sex attraction, where they quote Nephi when Nephi says that. He did not know the meaning of all things, but he testified, I know God loveth his children. And I think that that really is is appropriate with respect to same-sex attraction. We don't know always why why any particular individual is experiencing same-sex attraction. We don't know why some individuals are struggling with some things that they do and, and have some experience that they have. But we can come to know and, and usually it's through a spiritual experience, like you said, it's through revelation that God loves us and he wants us to be happy. Samantha, I appreciate you talking with us and, and sharing your story. It's been delightful to hear, and I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will too. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org 
or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.